you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. A man named John in prison is writing to some people who are members of seven different churches in the Roman province of Asia Minor, what is now the nation of Turkey. They are being persecuted because they are Christians. They're asking a lot of questions, and John, throughout the Revelation, has been trying to answer their questions. Why is this happening to us? Well, it's connected to your faith. Well, where is God in all this? Well, He's with you, even though you can't realize it. And He's on the throne and in charge, even though it doesn't look like it. And He holds your future in His hands, even though it doesn't sound like it. Well, what can we do? Well, the best thing you can do... It's pray, 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 but beyond that, what you need to do is, is entrust your future into the hands of Jesus. All those things John has been telling these people. Well, what is about to happen to us? And he's saying to them, well, let me tell you that uh, things are going to get worse. Throughout uh, chapter 6 through 18, John keeps telling them, things are going to get worse. Expect them to get worse, but they will get better. They'll get worse, but then they'll get better. And no matter how much worse they get, please know that they will get better. Well, I can imagine, I can imagine some of John's readers hearing everything that John is saying and appreciating everything he's saying, but some of them coming back and say, well, John, you've told us God is in charge and we heard you say that and you've told us that the future is going to get better, it's going to get worse, but then it will get better. But we have some folks in our congregation who have died. We have some folks in our church who were killed. Things didn't get better for them, John. It just got worse and worse and worse and more worse. So how do you respond to that? I can see some folks, hear some folks asking that question. And I hear John in chapter 21 and also 22. We'll be focusing on chapter 21. I hear John saying, yes, you're right. There are some folks who did not get their deliverance in this life. But I hear John saying, don't ever underestimate the fact that to go to heaven is better than anything we will experience here. Heaven is better than the best of the best on earth. In fact, the worst experience in heaven is better than the best experience on earth. And so he goes into a two-chapter section talking about heaven. And interestingly enough, especially in chapter 21, he tells us what is and isn't in heaven. Look with me as we read portions of chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning 
or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now I want you to skip down to verse 22. Skip to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I was cutting my grass recently. I cut my grass by choice with a push mower. That way I at least feign to get exercise while I'm cutting my grass. I have a riding mower, but I choose to cut my grass with a push mower. And I was cutting, cutting my grass recently, and, and out where, my, where I cut my grass next to the road, I live on Ridley Road, right next to the road where I cut my grass, I can go all the way from one side of my property line to the other, and if I am on my front porch of my house facing the road, the property line that is all the way to my left. I was cutting grass there just recently, and, and I cut all the way up to the edge of the tree line, to the edge of the woods. There's just a little patch of grass that goes from about right here to maybe seven or eight feet down to the, where, the, where the tree line starts for the woods. And I was pushing my my push more all the way up to a pine tree that was right next to the tree line. I had been looking down and just all of a sudden looked up and right there just beside that pine tree was a black duffel bag. And it startled me. I mean, it's not every day you look in the woods and see a black duffel bag. It, was, it wasn't new, but it had not been worn either. It was not too badly old. And I was looking at that duffel bag, and several thoughts occurred to me. I'm thinking, first of all, what is he doing here? Number two, wonder what's in that duffel bag. Number three, I start, I start whistling around in my mind several different scenarios. Somebody stole this from somebody else, and they got out all the cash and credit cards or whatever, and when they came by my house, they threw it behind this pine tree. I said, I had some great stories to tell. 
Then I thought, well, wait a minute. That may not be what it is. Uh, maybe somebody stole it thinking there would be cash and credit cards, but there, there weren't any in it. And so they, they just threw it away in disgust and it landed beside that pine tree. Then I thought, well, somebody is planning on running away. And they have put all of their clothes and stuff in that duffel bag and they have hidden it behind the pine tree so that whenever they run away, they can run straight to the pine tree, pick up the duffel bag that has all of their clothes and their moving stuff in it and run away. And then I got to thinking, there might be a dead animal in that duffel bag. I started thinking about that. And then, you know, one of my favorite movies is The Godfather. So I get to thinking, there's some, the contents of that duffel bag, if there's anything in that duffel bag, it has something to do with the mafia, and there, there might be illegal drugs in that duffel bag. Well, I passed by the duffel bag, went on by cutting grass, and I made two different uh, circles passing the duffel bag, trying to decide whether or not I needed to open that duffel bag. And the thought occurred to me, this is not my duffel bag. Jimmy, this is not your duffel bag. This is none of your business. Leave the duffel bag alone. And so I passed by it a third time. The fourth time I came by that thing, there was a voice on this side of my head said, this is none of your business. Don't open that duffel bag. But there was a voice over here that said, you need to open that duffel bag. You need to open that duffel bag and see what's in there. I mean, curiosity was killing me. Plus, not only that, but I was cutting uh, every, every, I had cut the grass beyond what it needed to be cut, just going around watching the duffel bag. Finally, I just stopped the thing and I, I turned it off. And I reached up there and I, I grabbed the handle of the duffel bag and I just picked it up just enough to know that there was some weight to it. Something was in the duffel bag. This was not an empty duffel bag. And I sat it back down. This is none of your business, Jimmy. Leave the duffel bag alone. Open up the duffel bag, Jimmy. You need to know what's in that duffel bag. So I reached over and I picked it up again and I pulled it out from behind that pine tree and I just sat it right there on the on the grass that I had been cutting four or five times at least. And I looked and the handle to the zipper had broken off. Now, the zipper was not all the way shut. It had been pulled back about that far. Now, what that meant is that if I was willing to stick my index finger into the hole, I could manage to pull the zipper open across the duffel bag. But... I didn't know what was in the duffel bag. What if there is a dead animal in the duffel bag? What am I going to do then? Amanda would, would make me feel obligated to bury the dead animal if I did that. What if there was a snake in there? I don't like snakes. And if I stick my index finger in the hole to open up the duffel bag, what if the snake that was in there already desperate from having been imprisoned in the duffel bag, decides to take off the outer third of my index finger. And I need, preachers need their index fingers. (laughs) This is none of your business. There's a snake in there that's going to eat your index finger. You need to know what's in that duffel bag. So I stick my index finger in the hole. And I run it across the duffel bag, opening it up, and I spread it out. 
and it is a duffel bag full. Well, I'll wait till next Sunday to tell you what was in the duffel bag. It was a duffel bag full of clothes. There were uh, a pair of running shorts. There were three or four T-shirts. I didn't count them, but there was more than one or two. Three or four T-shirts. I I started rummaging around through there. I felt kind of guilty doing that, like I was violating somebody. But I was rummaging around through there, maybe to see if I could find some ID, because I was going to return the duffel bag to its rightful owner. There there, There was a pair of blue jeans in there rolled up. All of the clothes were clean, as far as I could tell. But it was full, the duffel bag was full of clothes. No ID, no, no anything else except for just clothes. And so I put them back in the duffel bag and I pulled the zipper back so that it was almost closed except for a little hole about that far. And I picked up the duffel bag and I sat it back behind the pine tree. And so ladies and gentlemen, if you ride by my house after church today, And if you're going from Tommy Lee Cook Road down Ridley Road and you just get past my mailbox within 25 yards, if you look to the left, you'll see a duffel bag. And you'll wonder what was in it. And you'll wonder if what I said was in it was what was really in it. Yes, you will. Many of you will ride by my house this very day looking for that duffel bag. And some of you, some of you, if you think I'm not watching, and I'm going to sit by my window all day long. (laughs) Some of you who think I'm not going to be watching will stop and you'll get out. Some of you will make your husbands get out while you're still in the car. Car running, because the preacher may be watching. See what's in that duffel bag. You know why? Because curiosity will get the best of you. You ever been curious about something? And so curious that you just had to know what something was. I mean, probably some of you think this was not your duffel bag, Jimmy. You should have left that thing alone. It was, it was, it was just outside your property line. It was not even on your property. Leave the duffel bag alone. That's what it, probably what you're thinking. But I just couldn't. The curiosity got the best of me. It wasn't supposed to be there. It had never been there before and I had to open it up. Curiosity got me. I'll tell you something else that curiosity is getting the best of me on. I'm curious about what is in heaven. I'm not ready to die yet, but I'd love to know what the Christian dead know. I'd love to know what they know right now. And do you realize the moment that a Christian dies, the Bible says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, which means after my last breath on earth, my next breath is a heavenly one. That very next breath, they know something for sure that you and I don't know yet. I'd love to know that. The people John is writing to wanted to know What is heaven like? And so in this chapter, he reveals to them what is in heaven and what isn't in heaven. And I want us just to look at what he says. First of all, what is in heaven? 
what is in heaven. John says, first of all, he says, everything in heaven will be new. Everything in heaven will be new. Verse number five, verse five of chapter 21, he says this. He says, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything is going to be new. You know what I like? I like the smell of a new car. Do you? I like the smell of a new car. Why? If we can send men to the moon, can we not make a new car smell stay? Huh? I know, I know. You can go down here to to advance auto parts and they have these little bottles of stuff that says new car scent. Have you ever had a bottled new car substance to smell like a new car? No, it does not. It does not. I've taken it back before. It does not. First new car I've I've ever bought in my life was in 1983. I bought a vet in 1983. And the thing that I loved about that vet was, it was a Chevette. (laughs) I don't want you to get get the wrong idea. It was a Chevette. But the thing that I loved about that Chevette was it smelled like a new car. It had the same smell that a new Cadillac does. It has the same smell that a new Lincoln does. That Chevette smelled like a new car. Right now I'm driving a 98 Crown Vic. When that baby was first bought, it smelled like a new car. Now I didn't buy it new, but somebody bought it and it smelled like a new car. I can promise you right now it does not smell like a new car. I wish it did. I've sprayed stuff in it. It just makes it worse. It doesn't smell like a new car. Now, I like to smell, to spray stuff in there and make it smell like coconut. But you don't buy a car that smells like coconut. Huh? Listen, one of the things I believe about heaven, I believe that John is telling us here about heaven is, when you get there, it will smell new. And when you've been there 10,000 years, it will still smell new. Everything is forever new. <laughs> I'm kind of liking that. Everything is new. He said, second, what is in heaven is the glory of God. Verse 23 says the whole place is filled with the glory of God. And the glory of God lights up the place. The Bible tells us here in this chapter in verses 18 through 21 that there will be beauty like we have never seen before. And I didn't read for you those verses, but let me just point them out to you now. Verses 18 through 21, he says this. He says, the wall around the city up there will be made of jasper, the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stone. And then he names 12 different precious stones. And he says, the 12 gates were really 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, transparent glass. Isn't that amazing? Gold. The very thing that we so much want so much of down here, they use for pavement up there. Isn't that something? There will be beauty, the likes of which we've never experienced here. He said this, he says, and the measurements of the city, it it will be as wide and as long as it is tall. In other words, there will be perfect balance in that city. And then he says, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be there. 
Let me just stop right here and ask you, is your name there? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? It takes a relationship with Jesus to get it there, to keep it there. Is your name written? Those are just some of the things that John says are in heaven. Now, let me, let me hasten to this part. What is not in heaven? What is not in heaven? Now, John lists more things that are not in heaven than what he does what's in heaven. And he tells us that there are some things there that we might expect. And then he says there are some things that are uh, not there that we might be surprised by. So let's start out with some of the things that you and I might expect not to be there. First of all, in verse 4, he says there will be no death there. Death will be over with. Death will be gone. The one thing that, that most people dread more than anything else, if it's not death itself, it is how death will come about in your life. That will not even be a thought in heaven. Not one single thought. Death will not be there. There will be no crying there, at least not, not crying for uh, tears of, of sadness or grief or hurt. Because there will be no pain there, also verse 4. It will not surprise us that, the, that John says in these verses there will be no murderers there. Verse 8. There will be no one who is sexually immoral there. Verse 8. There will be no idolaters there. Verse 8. And there will be no liars there. Verse 8. In fact, verse 27 of that chapter says there will be literally nothing impure there. Sin will not be there. Now, if you're like me and you read some of those, some of those characteristics of the people who won't be there, you're thinking, ooh, you ever told a lie? Don't lie. Have you ever lusted after anybody? Guys, have you ever been so mad that you hated somebody? Jesus said that's the same as murder. All of a sudden, I'm reading this, and I'm getting a little bit uncomfortable. But remember, remember that Jesus is a, he is a God who is merciful. All of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. If we confess our sins, John says in another book, then the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Some things you might expect not to be in heaven. But then he says there are some things that might surprise you. For instance, in verse 1, he says there will be no sea there. That's a little bit of a surprise. I kind of like the sea. I like going down to the Gulf, at least I used to, before the oil came. I love the sea. There will be no sea there. That's interesting because if you go back to Revelation chapter 4, when John first saw the throne of God... He was describing it and he says in front of the throne was a sea of glass. We look at it if we just have chapter 4 and we think that's beautiful, a sea of glass. Picturing a sea that just looks like glass going forever and ever. It's beautiful. I'm not so sure John thought it was beautiful. I'm not sure. If you remember, he's in jail. He's in prison on an island called Patmos. The people he's writing to are separated from him by what? Say it. A sea. The sea for John represents separation, I believe. And so in chapter 4, before the throne of God, there is a sea that separates everybody from those who are in heaven. Right now there's a huge gulf. You can call it a sea, you can call it a canyon, you can call it whatever you want to that separates us from those who've gone on. 
But in chapter 21, John says, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. And and he begins to describe it. And he says, there was no more sea. You know what I'm going to love about heaven? There will be no more sea, no more separation. But then he says in verse 25, there'll be no night there. I kind of like night. I like a clear night. I like to walk out on a clear night with low humidity and look at the stars. I like night. John says no night. There'll be no night there. In fact, there'll be no sun and no moon there. Because there'll be no need for the sun and the moon because the glory of God and the lamp of Christ will provide all the light that is needed for heaven. There will be no need for the sun and the moon. He said there'll be no night there. But remember, there's so much in the revelation that is symbolism. And so this night literally represents evil. And it represents everything that is wrong. And it represents everything that you might fear. There's a lot of bad stuff that goes on in the night. He says there'll be no night. And then when he lists the people who won't be there. You remember in the first part... Those that we expect not to be there and murderers and sexually immoral, you know, we expect that. But what we don't expect are the first two items on that list. Now, keep in mind, John lists them. He lists them down in verse eight. But before he gets to murderers and and idolaters and sexually immoral, there are two he mentions. You know what they are? First, the cowardly and unbelievers. What about that? On the list of those not found in heaven, Murderers don't top the list. Sexually immoral don't top the list. Cowardly. You know what cowardly are? Those who have lived a pretty good life and they know that they ought to stand up for Christ. They know they need to make a decision for Christ, but they just never do build up enough courage to do so. That's cowardly. And John says they top the list. And then second are unbelieving. Those who just choose not to believe. Then in verse 22, he says, no temple will be there. What about that? Now, this is very important for this is very important for John's readers. And I'll tell you why, because by the time they are coming along and John's writing to them, the temple has been destroyed in Jerusalem. They don't have one. And John's saying, hey, quit bellyaching about no temple. You don't need one. We have direct access to God. You don't need it anymore. And then he says, now remember, he said that this city is surrounded by walls. And pretty thick walls, 144 cubits thick. That's a thick wall. And it has gates, just like the city of Jerusalem has gates. Eastern gate, western gate, northern gate, southern gate. If you go to Jerusalem, those gates are still still there for the old city. He says there are gates there, but here's the difference. These gates are never shut. No closed gates to this one. What in the world? Well, if there's no night there, see, they would would open those gates during the day. They would close them at night because of of fear of of enemy uh, raiders coming in out of the darkness. There is no night there. There is nothing to fear there. Everything is transparent in heaven. When we get there, we'll have access to everything. 
The gates remained permanently open. It's amazing, really, when you go through John's list in chapter 21, what is and isn't in heaven. But you know what really the major question is? Let's just end it right here. You want to? Here's the major question. Will you be there? Will you be there? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Has there ever been a time in your life when you invited Jesus into your heart? You say, well, I'm not sure that I believe all that. I'm not sure that I understand all that. I'm not sure that I'm ready for all that. Listen, have you received Christ? There'll be tons of excuses offered by people who stand before God at the day of judgment. But no excuse will suffice. No doubt in this building, there are people who do not know Christ. The majority of people in our world do not know Christ. But you have to know him. You have to have a relation with him, a relationship with him in order to be there. Will you be in heaven? Will you be there? You can make your reservation when we stand up to sing our invitation hymn. You can come and make your reservation for heaven by coming and receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. These five people who joined the church this morning for baptism, we don't accept anybody for baptism until we know they've invited Jesus in their heart. They invited Christ into their lives. What about you? Isn't this a good day to make that decision? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for heaven. We thank you for everything that heaven is and everything that's there and everything that, that you have closed out and that's not there. We thank you for closing that out. But Lord, right now, I pray for those who have not received you as their Savior. They've not finalized their reservation for heaven. I pray for people to move out from where they are and come to this front altar and say, I don't know how to do this. I need your help with this, but I I want to invite Jesus into my heart. I pray that people will be saved this morning. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.